So it's not about how are things happening, what's the result. It is about what should the result be and is everything that is happening contributing to that result. So it's not about looking at whether a process actually works the way that it's been designed. It's about looking at whether a process is working in the way in which it's intended to be able to achieve its outcome. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Yusuf Mula. Yusuf has an interesting professional background. He's also a published author and podcaster. So, of course, we all all us podcasters have to stick together. But he's got some really interesting thoughts on the intersection of data, data analytics, data science, and internal audit with that incredibly long-winded introduction. Yusuf, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Fantastic. Thanks, Tom, for having me on your podcast and excited to have a good discussion today. So I think by now people will have observed you are not from West Texas. Could you tell our listeners where you are from? Yes. So I'm currently in Brisbane, Australia, so east coast of Australia, where I've been for about 10 years. But I was born in, and raised in South Africa, and that's where the, the slightly nuanced accent comes from. So could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. So I started working at a university all the way back in the early 2000s. I moved to Deloitte pretty soon after that and went into internal auditing, external auditing, IT auditing everything auditing back then. Spent about seven years with Deloitte, then joined KPMG. And then when I moved to Australia, after a few years, decided, so this was about 2016, just decided to go out on my own with a, with a colleague. And we've been serving the internal audit and performance audit market since then. What's the name of your uh, consultancy? It's called Risk Insights. We primarily deal with the use of data within internal audit and performance audit, and we work with anti-corruption agencies as well. So I am a lawyer by professional background. My data analytics ability is generally limited to being able to add two plus two with a calculator. And I, I'm afraid many compliance professionals are sort of in the same boat as I am, that they know data exists, and that may be it. But you're looking at this from the internal audit perspective. So I was really intrigued to explore that question with you. As a lawyer, my perception was internal auditors dealt largely with data. But you've really taken that concept and I think really pushed it with your book, The Data Confident Internal Auditor. So if I could start with, what led you to write this book? So there were a couple of things. The one is that, yes, you're right. There are many auditors that do use data in various ways. But what we've been finding over the last few years is that usually that comes via a dedicated team within an internal audit team. So you may have a, a dedicated data analytics specialist or data scientist within the team, and they tend to do a lot of the work. And so the use of data hasn't progressed as significantly as it could have been or could be over the last few years. And we think that that is largely due to the general auditors, if you like, so the bulk of the auditing profession not having taken up the use of data directly themselves. And so the idea behind creating this book was to help auditors see, help every auditor, so the non-data specialist auditor, if you like, see just how easy it is and that they can actually do it themselves and hopefully 
make it such that you know 100% of auditors are using data within a few years. One of the things that is said about your book is that internal auditors are often overwhelmed by developing trends in data analysis and data science. Is that simply because there's so much information? And if so, do you help synthesize down what they really need to know, not so much what they can know? Yeah, I think the data field has progressed so significantly over the last few years. And with a range of technology improvements, et cetera, there's so much capability, but it's come in in leaps and bounds. And so now you've got all of these jargony terms that are thrown around, big data, machine learning, artificial intelligence, robotics, et cetera. And so when you go from zero to 100 like that, that quickly over really the span of less than 10 years, it can be overwhelming. And you have lots of discussions around people trying to push specific ideas down others' throats. And so really what then happens is that you sort of become paralyzed because there's just too much to swallow all at once. And so the idea with the book is to go step-by-step through what really are, frankly, some basic techniques to get to better understand how data works and how you can use it. And in fact, some of the examples that we use in there are purely using Excel, right? You know, you can actually do a lot of data work just in basic spreadsheet tools. But yes, that sort of, the jargon, the hype, I think has created a bit of fear and people don't know where to start. And so the book tries to break that down, make it easy so you can go step-by-step and just simplify that. How do you suggest internal auditors approach data? So really, and we've spoken about this a few times now, is that there's a couple of ways. One of the easiest ways for internal auditors to understand data is to just think about it as another form of evidence. So over the years, we've collected lots of manual documents as evidence. Slowly, that transitioned into electronic evidence in the form of PDF files and Word documents, etc., that we now store within electronic audit management systems. Data is just another piece of evidence. So that's the most basic way to think about it. Of course, there's a lot that we can do with data in all aspects of audit, so all the way from planning what we want to do, understanding risks, and then planning individual audits, conducting our audits, and then using visualizations at the end to report. So really just another aspect to explore for auditors, but one that can create quite significant value. You said before we turn to some specific approaches you suggest to data by an auditor, by an internal auditor, in the United States during the pandemic, the regulators in the anti-corruption area, and here that's the U.S. Department of Justice, made clear that they expect more use of data by compliance professionals, more analytics and more availability of a compliance professional to look at data. And I wanted to ask, do you see the Australian anti-corruption regulators taking a more aggressive approach or at least an evolving approach when it comes to data analytics in the compliance field in Australia as well? Yeah, for sure. It is a reasonably slow journey because you are talking about, in many cases, changing established ways of doing work, established ways of doing business, if you like. At all levels, there is now a recognition that there is a a better way we can do that. Of course, within anti-corruption agencies in particular, certain forms of data have been used quite successfully for a number of years. So if you think about the way in which phone taps are done, or you think about the way in which systems are imaged, some forensic processing of data, but a lot of that is reactive. So a lot of that is sort of the, you know, when something goes wrong or when you know something goes wrong, what do you do? What we're seeing now is that there's an emergence of 
thinking around using data and actually using data for prevention and education activities. So try to identify where are the potential next hotspots based on what we see through risk profiling and therefore where should we target our prevention and communication uh, activities. So yes, there is some progress. It is probably slower than we would want. <laughs> you know, everybody wants things to happen quite quickly, but there's definitely intent to use better data within compliance. Yusuf, I'd like to turn to some specific approaches you suggest for an internal auditor using data. What are three specific secrets we can use that to maximize the use of data in internal audits? Okay, so the very first secret really is that data can be used by everybody. So I think there's one of the ways in which potentially many data professionals future-proof their own careers is by trying to make things look a little bit more difficult than they really are. So the first secret is you can do this yourself. The second, one of the things that we've been seeing recently, and particularly over the last two to three years, is the emergence of the use of open source tools to conduct analytics. So in the past, it's been quite expensive to source sort of the tools and systems to be able to process data. That's becoming a lot cheaper. And open source, of course, doesn't mean less secure. There are a number of open source tools that are available that are the way we explained it. It could actually be more secure because there's such a massive community looking at it and looking into what the source code says. And you can actually look into the source code and see are there any backdoors or, or traps. So that's the second. And the last is while data visualization is a reasonably new field, there's a lot that can be achieved by using visualization properly. Now, whether that's a secret, I'm not sure, but it may be a secret in some circles anyway. But that, that ability to use visualization techniques, both in terms of exploring data, but also in terms of explaining what we're seeing, has become something that we should keep our eyes on and make sure we are across. Yusuf, you've developed something called, I'm going to call it the DARTS method, D-A-R-T-S, to help select source data. Could you explain what the DARTS method is and how an internal auditor can use it? Yeah, so the main thing about the DARTS method is that we all love acronyms, and particularly within the internal audit space, that's something that we see a lot of is, you know, we need, we need to have some sort of acronym to be able to explain what we do. There's a DARTS cheat sheet available for free if you go to our website to have a look at it. But this is about the five main things we need to think about in selecting and sourcing data. So what it stands for is detailed. So how detailed do we go? And this will vary depending on our objective. Do we go really granular in terms of getting data? Do we go all the way down to transaction logs? Or can we actually achieve what we need with reasonably high level summarized data? And that could be even be a combination of some detailed data in some areas and some summarized data in other areas. You don't always need the full extent. So that's the D. A stands for adjacent processes. And this is where when we using data, we should be thinking about what else sits outside of the specific process or area that we're looking at that can shed light on what's going on in terms of a business process or a business outcome or achieving an objective. You know, the traditional example with that is where we're looking at payroll and where we bring procurement data in to be able to supplement that. So it comes from a different function or process, but there's a way in which we can match the data up to understand whether there are some risks that we need to consider or something we need to look at in that area where, for example, where a vendor has similar details to an employee. So that's what we're doing a payroll audit and we bring some procurement data in. 
That's A. The R is for reconciliation. Every auditor knows what reconciliation, how important that is. And we think about how deep we need to go with reconciliation. Do we need to actually find alternate sources of data to be able to verify or reconcile? Sometimes that's possible. Sometimes that isn't. The T stands for timeframe. So often when we're doing work, we look at a very specific timeframe and we think about, do we get data just for that timeframe? Sometimes it's good to go earlier and later than our specific audit timeframe because you see some transactions that come from earlier times and move into later times or you can find patterns from earlier years that you can apply to your understanding of the specific timeframe in mind. And S is for source. So source could be where we're getting our data from. It could be internal, so it could be proprietary data within our ERP systems, etc. could be open data. So there's a lot of open data available, particularly in the government space and even in private sector. So things that you'd see in open data are, I suspect in, in your field, there's significant value in this through things like the Panama Papers and Paradise Papers, etc. that would be open. And then you have partially open data. So this is where there are a number of industries that are sharing data just within the industry. So open banking, open energy, open telecommunications, and that's where data is being shared by industry participants within an industry and not just you know, completely open. So where should we be sourcing our data from and taking a, a holistic approach to thinking about what other data we can get from outside of our organization or inside of our, of our organization to be able to better understand the topic that we'd be looking at? The issue of which approach to utilize could you talk about how you would help an internal auditor think through that process of which approach to utilize and maybe the pros and cons of a couple of the approaches you suggest? There's obviously lots of different approaches. We've kind of settled on four main approaches in the way in which we think about it. So the first of those is where we use data purely for reporting. So this is if we're doing nothing else, at a minimum, we should be trying to get data that we use for explanatory reporting you know, enhancing our reports in that way. So that's at the, the bottom of the spectrum, if you like. At the top end, you'd have data-driven approach. So that's where you let the data do the talking. That's kind of bottom-up a little bit. And it only really works well if you are in an organization where data governance is very strong and the quality of data is very strong. And there's actually a data-driven approach to business functions. So the examples we give are, you know, things like Netflix, where Netflix does take a largely data-driven approach to a lot of the work that we do. So those are the two sort of extremes. In between those, you'd have process-focused approach and a hypothesis-based approach. And there's some similarities between them. The traditional way in which we think about doing audits is sort of process-focused. So that is walking through a process and seeing whether we can find any problems within that process or we can find any opportunities for improving that process. That's important. There's lots of reasons for doing that. But what we've found over the years is that when we think about what the outcome is that we're trying to achieve, so the objective that we're trying to achieve, or the objective that the function of the process is trying to achieve, we then take a very different approach. So it's not about how are things happening, what's the result. It is about what should the result be, and is everything that is happening contributing to that result. So it's not about looking at whether a process actually works the way that it's been designed. It's about looking at whether a process is working in the way in which it's intended to be able to achieve its outcome. So there's a slight nuance there, but the difference in the way in which we then approach what we do and what we look at and how we look at it can mean the difference between finding what is important to the organization in terms of meeting strategic objectives and just purely walking through a process that may be broken that you won't be able to find because you don't know that it's not actually doing what it's supposed to do 
properly. You used a phrase in there that's going to be familiar to many of our listeners, but I wanted to pick up on it, which was data governance. And you talked about good data governance. Could you say a few words about the importance of data governance? Or conversely, how do you help uh, when you counsel a client? How do you help them think through a good data governance, uh, robust process? There's a couple of things to that. One on the sort of risk side and one on the opportunity side. So on the risk side, you obviously have a, a range of confidentiality matters that need to be dealt with and a range of integrity matters that need to be dealt with. So this is how do you make sure that the data that you have doesn't fall into the wrong hands, so keeping it confidential. And then also, how do you make sure that the data isn't corrupted through activities that may not be authorized? That's a very basic sort of data governance approach. There's a number of things that we're seeing an overzealous approach to data governance may actually inhibit our ability to create value through data. So one of those is where we are over-controlling access to data to the detriment of being able to use it. So the traditional approach to data governance is we want to block everything down and only give access to people that really deserve that sort of access. That actually works in a enterprise resource planning environment where we're capturing data and capturing transactions. One of the things that we've been advocating for is within business intelligence systems or systems of reporting, systems of information, as opposed to systems of recording, we may want to take a slight, uh, the reverse approach, really, and that is everybody should have access unless there's a specific reason not to give them access. So data governance is wide and broad, but if we think about what it is that we're trying to achieve with our data, we obviously want to, for compliance purposes and for confidentiality purposes, we want to keep a range of data elements secure, but others we want to open up. So that's the security element. And then there's obviously the the data quality aspect. So making sure that the quality of our data is sufficient to enable us to be able to do what we need to do. And those, that sort of security angle and the quality angle would largely encompass what what data governance is about. There's obviously lots of different subtopics and fields within data governance. For us, within internal audit and compliance, etc., we think those are the most important areas to look at. And finally, you've used a term I'm not familiar with, which is audit viz. Can you explain what it is and why it's so important for data and audits? So the important thing is that you weren't aware of it and you now are, but it's, it's something that we've created. So AuditViz is really just a, a way to get people thinking about something differently, but AuditViz is about visualization for audit purposes. Why specifically a term? The way in which we visualize data varies depending on the, the need for the use of data. So exploratory data within the marketing field will be very different to exploratory data within the auditing field. Explanatory visualizations within the marketing field would be different to explanatory visualizations within audit. So AuditVerse really is about using data visually to be able to see patterns and then using data visually to be able to convey messages through our reporting and other mechanisms. It is important because it does make it a lot easier to see, like I said, patterns and stories than if we're just putting tables down or just walls of text. So let me ask, how is this book been received in the audit profession? And let me lay on another layer. After listening to you, this book really sounds like it could be read by a broader audience as well. And I'm specifically thinking compliance professionals, someone like myself, I'm not going to do an audit. I don't feel I'm qualified to, but I can certainly understand the process. And if I understand the process, perhaps I could better use the end result. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. Yes, so we did specifically aim it at internal auditors in order to define 
what the specific approaches would be that would be relevant to auditors. But a lot of the book, so more than 80% at least of the book would be relevant. So if you just replace the word auditor with compliance professional in a number of areas, you'd be able to use that for your own purposes. There's obviously some examples that will be very specific to internal audit and some processes that will be very specific to internal audit. But yes, definitely widely, widely applicable. Uh, my mother read it and she's an English teacher. God bless her soul. So that was definitely, I, I said to her, this is a labor of love because I can't imagine how you would go through a book <laughs> about data within internal audit. Anyway, and she saw value out of it. So I imagine if she did as an English teacher that's retired, many compliance professionals definitely will. Let me turn down to the veiled land of the future. And where do you see the use of data and internal audit down the road in 2025 or even beyond? Once again, kind of either comparing or contrasting with the compliance community, would you see a greater use of data science and data analytics by internal audit? I certainly hope so. That's part of our, our mission, really, with, with the book and related items. One of the things we, we spoke about this early on is that, yes, we would we do see more use of data within internal audit. But in particular, we see more use of data within internal audit without necessarily having to reach out to data scientists or data specialists. So more practitioners using data themselves, the same way that we saw many years ago, more practitioners getting into understanding IT controls or starting to use Word documents and word processing themselves. Or nowadays you have with no code and low code apps, you have a, a significant level of application development that happens without developers. So you've got you know people creating applications out in the business and developers are almost nowhere to be seen in some cases. So that's what we think is going to happen is that more people are going to use it themselves. The nice thing about that is for the data scientists, that frees them up from the what would in their minds or in their worlds be reasonably mundane things to do. And, and they freed up to do things that are far more exciting using advanced techniques. And the same would apply for, for compliance as well, I think particularly when it comes to within the compliance world, things like better document search, better document data extraction, keyword and key phrase extraction to be able to understand where some of the compliance risks might lie. And because the technology is proliferating at a rapid pace, that should be available for many professionals to use themselves uh, directly. Well, Yusuf, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, any of the topics we've discussed in this podcast, information on your book, and uh, the name of your podcast. Where would they go to find out all that great information? Okay, so the easiest place is our website. So that's riskinsights.com.au, R-I-S-K-I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S.com.au. All the information is there. Our podcast is called The Assurance Show. Um, so available on, on most apps, but you will find a link in the website as well with our contact details and information on the book and a range of blog articles, etc. that are available to peruse. I am on LinkedIn, managed to get on very early on. So my LinkedIn handle is my full name, Yusuf Muller, with no numbers or letters <laughs> needing to be appended to the end. So yes, LinkedIn, Yusuf Muller. I'm reasonably active on there and can be contacted quite openly. So we'd be very glad to have discussions with listeners. and. Other than the website, what platforms might your book be available on? So the book's available on Amazon, largely. You can find it on Kobo or Goodreads or a range of other places, but Amazon is usually the, the easiest way to find it, particularly in the US. So that's the Data Confident Internal Auditor, and Data Confident has a dash in between. Not exactly 
English correct, but that's a poetic license that could be used with that. So the Data Dash Confident Internal Auditor is available on Amazon. Yusuf, I wanted to thank you, one, for reaching out to be on the podcast, but two, for this podcast, you've really given me a lot to think about. I'm going to order your book and see what I might be able to glean from it from my perspective. And perhaps after I do that, I could ask you to come back and we could continue this conversation. Fantastic. I'd love to do that. Thank you for having me. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.